All right. So we're going to go ahead and jump into uh, back into Philippians. We've been looking in the, the book of Philippians. We're going to be going through all of this for the next couple of weeks. The title of our series has been Always Choose Joy, which I know is, is kind of difficult at times and kind of hard. But at the same time, kind of our main verse that we've been looking at, again, is in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, where basically Paul, writing to the church there, tells them basically something he could have easily told the church in Philippians, which is basically always be joyful. Always be joyful. And again, it's, it's one of those things where that can be hard at times, that can be difficult, especially because we face difficult things in our lives. But we have to remember that as Paul is writing this to the church in Thessalonica, he's saying basically, listen, you, you, it's not about your situations, it's not about your circumstances, it's a command that God says to always be joyful. And that can be hard because our situations and circumstances at times make that difficult. But we have to understand, we've talked about this before, I'm sure we'll talk about it as we kind of begin every, ser- or every Sunday as we go through this series, but it's in your notes, we have to remember that the feeling of joy is an emotion... But the foundation of joy starts with a choice, and you choose joy by choosing Jesus. So no matter what situation you find yourself in, no matter what situation, no matter how good or how hard it is, you can always choose to look to joy, grab a hold of joy, and let it be something that leads you, guides you, and directs you because we find it in Jesus. So many of us, we try to find joy in other things or situations or circumstances or even pleasurable feelings when really joy is none of those things. Even though it is an emotion, it's something that we find when we choose Jesus because he is joy. He is joy. So today we're going to start Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look starting with verse number 1 and we're going to look through verse number 11. Again, we're going to spend time this series reading every word that we find in the book of Philippians together. And then we're going to break those things down and kind of look at them as far as how Paul has helped us to see the joy that we can find in Jesus. The joy that he is wanting to express to his readers in the the church in Philippi. So let's, if you have your Bibles, open them up or you can open up your phone whatever you have, to Philippians 2. We're going to start reading with verse number 1 and again go to verse number 11. This is what Paul writes. He says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship from the Spirit, if if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same of that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. 
the Father. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now, and God, I know that we got a bunch of muffins now, and we're excited, and things are good. But God, as we focus in on your word, God, I pray that you would help us to see some things that, God, you want to illuminate to us through your Holy Spirit. That, God, as we look at these things, that, that in some ways, as Paul writes, you know, make my joy complete. God, I pray that you would almost say that over us. Like, like you would say, you know, make my joy complete in you by doing these things. And God, God, that we know we can do them because we choose you and because we have your help. Even though they may be hard, you can help us. So, Father, that's what we need. Lead us, guide us, and direct us. Open our hearts to what you desire to share with us this morning. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, this is a very popular portion of Scripture, okay? This is a very theologically dense portion of Scripture. In fact, a lot of theologians actually believe that when you look at this portion of Scripture, Philippians 2, basically, you know, basically 6 to 11, that this was actually a hymn called the, what we would call it now, called the Christ hymn, that was actually sung in these early churches, we don't know that for sure, but a lot of people believe that. So this is a very, very deep theological portion of Scripture. In fact, in it, we can actually see basically the birth of Christ, his life. We can see his death and his resurrection. We can kind of see Christmas and Easter all in one little package. And so because of that, it's very one of those scriptures where as a pastor, man, like I could literally spend like, and I'm not, so don't breathe easy, okay? I could literally spend three months on just Philippians 2, 1 through 11. I'm not going to do that because I love you too much, but I could. In fact, you can ask Linda, this week I was trying to put all of my thoughts together and I got her the notes really, really late, or later than I normally get it, because I was having trouble not making this go till three o'clock and it's Mother's Day, okay? And I am not gonna have mothers mad at me on Mother's Day, okay? Because I'm sure you have plans. So I've tried very hard to condense some areas and some things that are just really, really powerful, really, really basic and important to our faith as Christians. And Paul, in just basically 11 verses, I mean, he brings it all home in a very, very powerful way. But in that, he also begins to talk about this idea of Jesus and his, his understanding, how Jesus looked, how Jesus felt. And remember, we find joy when we find Jesus. We choose joy. We choose Jesus. And so in some ways, what Paul begins to do is he's, as he says, listen, if you're going to make my joy complete, one of the ways you're going to do that is you're going to be able to find and look at the life of Jesus and look at it and imitate it, mirror it, and begin to live that way. And so this morning, what we want to do is I want to break down this portion of Scripture, maybe in a different way than you heard it before, but I want to look at it and I want us to look together at the joy that is found in the lifestyle and mindset of Jesus. Now, here's what I'm going to help you understand here, because some of these things I'm going to talk about are probably not things that you associate with joy. You don't. But when we choose Jesus, when we choose to look at his life and live the way that he lived, to have his mindset, to follow his lifestyle, we need to understand these things brought Jesus joy. And therefore, as we choose Jesus, as we begin to live this way, then it's very easy then for us to also find joy in things that quite honestly are not things we typically find joy in. 
Let me help you with this, okay? If I brought in 100 people off the street, maybe some of them knew Jesus, maybe some of them didn't, I don't know, don't care. I brought in 100 people, and I sat them here in the front rows. And I said, hi, how's everybody doing? Good. And we said, you know, how many of you know Jesus? Maybe, you know, 10 or 20 raised their hands. How many of you don't? How many of this? It wouldn't matter, okay? I just asked 100 people. And I said, just, I have some exciting news for you. For each of you that have come this morning, those hundred people, out in, in the out, out there in you know far, you know, in the, the, the lot over here, I have a car that I am giving every single one of you. You get a, you know, I, I hate to do Oprah, but you get a car, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. Okay? I don't know how that would respond. Now, I've seen the videos when that has happened before. And I, I, I don't know about you, but yes, it was very interesting to watch all those women say, oh, that's just so wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Oh, I was needing a car. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. Shall we go have brunch? That's not how that went down. Okay? It was screaming. It was yelling. It was nuts. It was pandemonium. And I bet you that if I did that here, there would probably be some people that would be a little more reserved, but probably there would be some excited people. It's easy to have joy when great things happen. It's easy to follow joy and to search after those pleasurable emotions that come when good things happen. The things we're going to be talking about today are not necessarily, you're, you're probably not going to, if you do, I'm, I'm going to look at you funny, so please don't. But if I say, you know, joy comes from this, there's probably not going to be people who go, yeah! But it's there. It's available. And here's what I found. Cars, pleasurable things, all those things, they are fleeting. But the things that we, we, when we imitate Jesus, when we follow his lead, these things that bring joy are deeper. They're more lasting. In fact, they're literally, scripture tells us, eternal. And that's what we need in our hearts and our lives. We want to be a people that don't experience joy just because good things happen. We experience joy because we've chosen Jesus. And here's the deal. I, I want you to get this. This is in your notes. And it's very important because, again, most of us have read these things before. We've seen them before. But listen, it's all too easy for us to read the following description of Jesus and admire it from a distance. Like, wow, Jesus, man, you did so many amazing things. But listen, God wants us to be awed of it. It is pretty amazing. But also to see that it is something that we must enter into and imitate. Okay? Paul didn't write this just simply to tell us how amazing Jesus is, even though that is very clear from the text. He wants us to understand that not only do we see what Jesus did, but now we are as followers of him to enter into that as well. Okay? So it's not just, man, Jesus, you're awesome, which he is, but it's Jesus, will you be even more awesome and help me to live this way? And to experience the things that you want us to experience. So the first one that we see that Paul lists in this area that we can mimic and imitate is the joy found in unity. The joy found in unity. Now, to really understand what Paul has written. Now remember, we have, how the, we have chapters and verses that have broken down for us. Paul doesn't write the, 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 the letter that way, okay? 
And so Paul is just writing these things out. So to really understand the context that we see in Philippians 2, the first couple of verses, we have to go back actually to Philippians 1.27 because Paul begins to, to kind of give us a little bit of an idea, some context of what's really going on in the church here. Okay, so let's go back just what we spent some time on last week or a couple weeks ago and look at Philippians 1 verse number 27. Okay, here's what it says. It says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, now here it is, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Here's what I think is going on here. Paul, as he's writing these things, and we're going to see later, he has, he's had some people come visit him from this area and this church and things of that nature. And so he's kind of picked up on a couple things. And one of the things that he's concerned about, and I think it's just beginning, he's just beginning to see a little bit of stuff here, and he's getting concerned about it. And he kind of wants to kind of nip it, you know, basically, before it really begins to grow, is this concept of unity. We see it a lot in like 1 Corinthians and other letters that Paul writes. And it's just, just barely kind of getting started maybe in the church in, in, in here with the Philippians. And basically Paul begins to say, listen, I, I can kind of see this coming, but I need you to stand firm. I need you to stand firm together and stand firm as, as one in one mind and in one spirit. And so Paul has already begun to kind of lay the groundwork out for this understanding that, that, that he desires, that God desires for us as a body and as a family to walk in unity. Now let's continue. So now we continue on with Philippians 2. Look at verses 1 and 2. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love being one in spirit and in purpose. So again, hold your Bibles open, okay? Michelle, if you would, keep that up there for me, if you would. Thank you. And we're going to look at this together because Paul here begins to kind of open up this understanding of unity and, and these like things like this. And he basically says, listen, if you are experiencing these things then because you're experiencing these things, there needs to be a unity that comes because other people are also experiencing these things. You heard the phrase, you know, birds of a feather flock together. And Paul here is looking at these things and he's saying, listen, if you're united in Christ, you should be experiencing some things. Okay, now here's what's interesting is is in a lot of ways, and this is kind of taking a real quick little rabbit trail here, but I think it's important Paul lists some things here that he is basically, and this is in your notes, Paul is ex assuming that these Christians have experienced these things in their lives because they are available to all of us, okay? So he's basically saying, listen, the things we're going to list, the things we're going to talk about are things that are available to you. And, and sometimes we have to take some inventory and do a checklist. Like, are we really experiencing these things in our lives? Okay. Now, Michelle, if you would go back to the slide with, with 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 2. There he goes. So here's what it says. It says, if you've been united with Christ, he's basically saying, if any comfort from his love. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time, I mean, this is going to do this with all of these, that you felt the comfort of God's love? The comfort of God's love. 
the, the love that says, you know what, I got gotcha. you. And here's what's interesting about this, just so you know. This comfort of God's love, the Greek understanding of it is not, I'm sorry, it's, I know it's Mother's Day, but we've got to be truthful. It's not a motherly type of love. That's not the word usage here. It's not that at all, okay? Now, does God comfort us in that way? Yes, he does. He does comfort us at times and kind of put, you know, it's going to be okay, I got you, you know, all those sort of things. But this is not the word that Paul uses. Paul here uses a word that really has more of a masculine feel to it. So basically, this is the comfort of love that says, basically, you know, pick you up, kind of dust you off and says, man, you got this. Come on, keep going, keep working, keep striving. I got you. I'm there with you. I'm not going to let you down. So it's a little different of an idea here. Because we hear the word comfort and we go, oh, you know, poor baby, it's okay. No, no, Paul's sitting here basically saying, basically what Jesus wants to do is love you forward and love you up to a new level with him so a comfort of love next he says um this is any common sharing in the spirit this idea of common sharing is basically finding those things that we have in common and allowing them to bring unity to us again that idea of coming together knowing those things if there's any tenderness and compassion this idea of kind of tender there's your tender mom part okay any mercy, any grace, depending on the translation that you're using. Basically, what Paul is saying and what he wants us to understand is all of these things God wants to bring into your life. Okay? And I would say this. Listen, if you're not experiencing these things, it's not because God doesn't want them in your life. Sometimes, I'll just speak for me, sometimes I say no to what God wants to do in my heart and my life. And typically, it's because I don't want to be unified with God. Now, Aaron, what in the world are you talking about? Simply this, I can do it on my own, okay? The idea of the pride that it basically takes to say, I want to do it without you, God, is not unity. It's actually disunity. So when we come and we're unified with Christ... And we allow these things to happen. God will bring forth these things into your life and into your heart when you need them. There might be times where you need God to kind of raise you up and say, come on, man, you got this. I know I got you. You can do this. There may be times where we need God to kind of put his arm around us and say, man, I know it hurts. I know it's hard, but I'm here and I love you. And there's a plan and a purpose. No matter what we need, when we're unified in Christ then God can bring those things into our lives. Let them come. Let them come. So Paul begins this idea of unity, basically saying, since you've already experienced these things, since these things are already happening in your life, now he continues on with verse number three. He says, because of those things, let's look at it together, Philippians 2, starting with verse 3. Do, not, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, I'm going to stop here real quick because what we're going to be reading is some hard stuff to do. And I will tell you this, it will be impossible to do it unless you are united with Christ. Okay, do you understand? Paul is brilliant here. He, with the help of the Holy Spirit, he basically says, listen, if you want to do three, four, five, you've got to start with one and two. So he starts with one and two. So you're experiencing these things. 
then three, four, and five can three, four, and five can happen in your life. Unfortunately, we try to do three, four, and five without one and two, and we get into some serious problems. So Paul says, listen, because of those things, because of these things, now he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Look, n- not looking to your own interests, but, to each, uh, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one other, another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ or as Christ Jesus. So, so here's Paul is beginning to lay this, this idea of unity out. And, and, and he begins to say, you know, listen, if, if we're going to have unity with each other, if we're going to say no to disunity, we first have to follow the mindset of Christ, which is, and he begins in a minute, we'll get to it in a minute, he begins to lay all that out. But I, I want to give you some application real quick, real simple, real easy, but I think we should look at it together because I believe that God desires there to be unity in our churches and in our homes and in our marriages and in our relationships of all kinds. And Paul really basically, and listen, like, like, like there's times where scripture is, so I, I, I look at it and I'm going, oh my goodness, like this is hard to understand or comprehend. And then there are other times where it's like, yep, I got it. Pretty simple. Hard to do, but simple to understand. This is one of those moments. So how do we experience unity in our lives, in every relationship? There's just three here. It says, basically, don't think too favorably of yourself or too much of yourself. Okay. So it's, it's two things here. When, when Paul talks about this idea of selfish ambition and vain conceit, there's two ideas. I broke them in, just put them into one. But basically, so, so we don't think too favorably of yourself or too much of yourself. Because if you can't do that, you're going to have a hard time then doing two and three. Number two, put more value on others. Put more value on them. Put more value on them. And then the third one, real simple, be outward looking, not inward looking. Listen, I believe that in all areas of our lives, when there is disunity, one or more of these three things are not being done by at least one party. Okay? Listen, it's, you, you want to have, have unity with your spouse. Do these three things and you will be amazed at what God will do. Think about it. Instead of basically thinking that you're all that, think your spouse is all that. Instead of talking about how great you are, talk about how great she is or he is, depending. Instead of basically putting all the value on what you want, put the value on what they want. Say, you know what? Yeah, I might want to do this, but you know what? They want to do this, so I should. And listen, this shouldn't be something that happens once a year on Mother's Day or Father's Day. We focus on it on this day. It's a good reminder. But if we want unity, these are things that have to happen. And then the last one, be outward looking, not inward looking. When we can do these things, unity comes. And here's what I found when unity comes, joy comes along with it you ever been in a canoe I'm, I'm not a big canoe guy I'm not a big water guy I, I don't like the water all that much you know but I have been in a canoe and and canoes are wonderful um contraptions to get you wet and get you in the water you know like it's like we have these great wonderful boats that we have constructed 
But you know what? People aren't falling in the water enough. What should we make? And they made a canoe. That's basically what's happened. And so you get in a canoe, and typically because of what I have done in my life, being in a youth group, and then being a youth pastor for as long as I did, you typically, for some reason, and I think that's a, co a commandment somewhere in like Hezekiah, where you've got to get into a boat, into a canoe, with someone that's younger than you that is totally immature. And sometimes I was the immature one, and other times I was not the immature one, depending, you know, most of the time I was the immature one. But you know what you do? You get in a canoe. You know what the first thing people do when they get in a canoe is? Yep. Why? Let me help you out with this. You want to get wet? Just jump in the river. Don't, don't get me in a canoe. Oh, look at that. You know, that's what you always do. You know? And so you get in the canoe, and you start to shake it. And finally, okay, stop, stop, stop that. And you get into the canoe, and you start to kind of paddle. And if you've ever been in a canoe with someone who actually has kind of an idea of what to do in a canoe, you begin to work together in an unbelievable kind of almost, you know, you know, just, just together, you know, I paddle on one side, you know. And when, when it's done right and the water is kind of nice, I mean, a canoe's not so bad. It's not so bad. But typically, because again, of what I've done in my immaturity and possibly the one's other immaturity of people that I had in the boat, we begin to, you know, mess around and we begin to splash water on each other. And then we begin to, you know, I want to go over this way. And they try to, oh, no, 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 the other side. Okay, no, no, no the other side, you know. And I tell you what, it gets real frustrating real quick because you're not going anywhere. And then because you're not going anywhere and you're getting frustrated, then eventually you end up in the, in the, in the river. You know, that's just how it works. You end up in the river. But you know what? I know it sounds weird. There is a joy of being unified in a canoe. And we're going to go here. And we're going to go this direction. And, and we're not going to go over here. We're not going to end up in the lake. We're actually going to go this way together. And there's a joy in that. Listen, you want to talk about joy thieves in our churches, in our lives, in our relationships, and all these things. Unity steals joy real quick. But it's one of those that we don't always think about. But it can do it so quickly. And basically, instead of us paddling together towards a place, we begin to paddle not only, not only uh, we really paddle against each other. You know, unity doesn't usually just stop with disunity. It, it usually splits even further. And now we start working against each other to accomplish certain things. And so Paul doesn't want to see that for his, the church there. He wants them to come together in unity. And so I wanted you to look at that together. So listen, in your life, if you're, listen, and I mean this like for employee, boss, I mean, you, you name it, any relationship, if we can follow these simple three things, it'll revolutionize every relationship we have. Because in it, what we're truly doing is we're following the pattern of Jesus who put people in front of himself. And therefore, because of that, it leads even to a deeper understanding that we can find joy, which is the next one, and that is the joy that's found in servanthood. The joy that's found in servanthood. Philippians 2, starting with verse number 6, and we're going to go to the first part of, of, of 8. It says, who, he's talking about Jesus here, remember he says about the mindset, the lifestyle, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being foreign, found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself.
Now think about that. Now I talked about this before, but I just, we just need to sometimes stop and just try real hard to, to kind of put away the things we know and really understand what this verse is telling us. This idea here that Paul is wanting to get across to us is this idea that Jesus literally kind of emptied himself of some things. Now, depending on the translation you use, in verse number 7, you actually sometimes can see those words, empty himself. Now, I want to explain this because there's some miscommunication and misunderstanding here. When Jesus emptied himself and took on the very nature of man, he did not become less God. He was 100% God, and he was 100% man. What God, what Jesus chose to do in a lot of ways was empty himself of certain things, but not of others. In a lot of ways, Jesus did not, hear me here, did not empty himself of his deity or any of the attributes or, or, or any of those things when it comes to his God. He emptied himself into the nature of a servant. Okay, and again, we have to understand the words that Paul is using here. Because when we go back to the original Greek, we can understand a little bit more what he's trying to say. In most of your Bibles, do me a favor, if you see this word, some translations have it, some don't, most do. In verse 7, I want you to underline the word taking. Okay, why taking? Why is that important? Because when you go back to the original Greek, that word in Greek does not basically understand or help us understand this idea of, of exchange, okay? It's not an exchange. It is simply an addition, okay? So when the Bible tells us, when Paul writes that basically he takes on the very nature of a servant, he doesn't lay down his godship. He doesn't lay down himself that he's God. It's not an exchange. He's simply additionally to who he is, he takes on the nature or the likeness, depending on the translation you use, of a servant. Now think about that for a second. And I've talked about this before, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But this is, this is Jesus. This is, he is spending his time in the very presence of God. The place that all of us want to get to so bad. And Jesus says, you know, to serve. To make a difference, I'm going to leave that place and be born as a man. I mean, I just, it boggles the mind. I've had people say, you know, I have a hard time understanding this. 100% God, 100% man. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. That's sometimes hard to comprehend. You know what's harder for me to comprehend? The fact that he did it in the first place. The fact that he was willing to say, you know what? This weird, crazy, annoying kid who sometimes doesn't know is right from his left, named Aaron Nash, I I'm going to go be a servant for him. I'm going to leave the very splendors of heaven for him. I'm going to leave this, um, this, this so close, immediately right there relationship with my father for him. And you can put your name in there as well. You want to talk about a servant. Somebody that laid down the things he had so he could serve. In a lot of ways, we know the story where Jesus is getting ready to be crucified. And he's at the Last Supper. And he, he lays down some things and he picks up a towel and a water basin. And he begins to wash 
his disciples' feet. But even before that, he says this in Mark 10, 45. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. I love the words for even. For even is a very important part of that verse. Did you get it? Jesus is not saying just the simple things that we're catching. He says, for even. Basically, he's saying, listen, if, if I came to do this, guess what you should be doing? You say, Aaron, was it really a big deal to have the kids serve the moms today? Yep. And you know why? A couple reasons. One, we want to honor our moms and honor our ladies. But you know why else? And don't tell them, okay? Because we don't want this to be a, you know, we don't, don't want this to get out. We want to teach our children how to serve. We want to help them see, you know what? Jesus served. Mom and dad should serve. And you're never too young to serve. And you know what? They did a great job. Not a spill in the place. But even if they had, you know what? It's just carpet. What's more important is that we're teaching our children how to serve. And mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, aunts, uncles, whoever you are, listen, we are fighting a battle of servanthood in and out of the church. We need your help. We need your help. Yes, we need help in servant-type areas, but you know what we also need? We need little eyes and little hands to see big eyes and big hands that has a heart to serve because Jesus served. And I don't know about you, but there is a joy that comes with servanthood. There is a joy that God brings when it's like, you know what, I'm not doing this for anybody else but my Jesus. I'm not doing it for your praise. I'm not doing it because you will think I'm awesome or think I'm a servant. I'm simply doing it because Jesus modeled this for me and I'm going to do it. And if he could serve, I can serve. And he begins, and we begin to do that. And I don't know why. Because again, this is one of those things that's like joy and servanthood. No, no, no. Joy is in you serving me. But there is a joy when we as people pick up the water basin and pick up the towel. And there's so many different ways that we can do that. And Jesus is showing us and modeling for us that there is joy even in that. But then, then Paul takes it even another step forward. And he talks about the joy that's found in obedience. Look at Philippians 2, 8, the second part. He says, Jesus became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Now listen, it's Mother's Day. You know what makes moms happy? I know this because I have a mom and because my wife is a mom. But you know what makes us happy or moms happy? Obedience. I don't know how many times, you know, it's like, it's like just do what I say. What, why is there paint all over the kitchen? I was painting. I told you, if you paint, you got to do this. Why? Just listen. And you know what? Listen, there is joy in someone obeying you. There really is, okay? But here's what's funny about it. There's joy in obedience. There really is. 
There is a joy that comes. And listen, basically what Paul is saying here is that you know, Jesus was obedient. And then he takes it like one step further. He says, even death on a cross. He basically says, this is the extent of Jesus' humility and his obedience and his servanthood. The fact that not only was he a servant, not only did that take place in his heart and his life, but he was obedient even unto death. And then Paul basically goes on and says, and death in the most most painful, most horrible way that could ever be devised. Joy in that? Joy in that. And here's what I mean by that. When we are obedient to our Father as Jesus was, and we do the things he's asked us to do, there is joy that comes from that. There's joy because we know, we trust and we know that what God asks us to do is not necessarily only for the benefit of others, it is also for the benefit of ourselves. Like, I want you to stop, and I know this is hard, I want you to stop and think about your life. And think about how many times, and if you're like me, We could be here a while, so just focus on a couple. Where you have been disobedient to God and where it has led you. And the lack of joy that came from that. I don't know, I I sit there and I go, God, if I just would have listened to you, so much would have been saved. And here's the thing. Jesus was obedient even to death on the cross. And listen, sometimes God will ask you to be obedient in ways that you go, God, I don't want to be obedient in that way. I don't want to be obedient to death. I definitely don't want to be obedient to death on a cross. But when God asks you to do something, when God says, will you be obedient to me, there will always be a plan, there will always be a purpose, and the joy will always come in the morning. Because I guarantee you, it wasn't easy to be obedient for Jesus as he was hanging on that cross. But scripture tells us in Hebrews that even though he was suffering, he looked forward to the joy that awaited him. The joy that came from his willingness to lay down his life. Because he knew that even though it was hard, even though it was difficult, when he was obedient, it literally changed everything. And God doesn't ask for your obedience and say, you know, just because. There is reasons and there's purposes and there's plans and God's plans for us are always good. There's a joy in that. And listen, I don't know about you, maybe you're different than me, but there's a joy that comes from obeying a God who loves me and has my best interests at heart. Like, I don't have to live in, I don't have to sit there and go, oh, what am I going to do here? Am I going to do this? Am I going to do that? There's a great freedom and joy in basically just basically saying this. If Jesus says it, if God says it, I do it. I do it. Am I perfect in that? No way. But there's a joy that comes from that. There's a freedom that comes from that that God wants to bring in your life. If you're having trouble with obedience in God, remember that he's got you, his plan for you is perfect, and he wants to let that even bring joy, even, even that into your heart. The last thing. Oh, wait, 
one, one other thing, one other verse on obedience. Almost missed it, but John 15, 10 through 11. This is a great verse. It says, when you obey my commandments, listen to what Jesus says. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in His love. Look at verse number 11. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Joy from obedience? Yep. Overflowing joy because of obedience? Yep. That's amazing. But yet sometimes we think, I don't need to do that. But yet Jesus says, when you are obedient, the joy will come. Overwhelming joy. The final thing, the last thing, the joy found in the lordship of Jesus. Let's finish this little section together. Philippians 2, verse number 9 through 11. It says, therefore, okay? Therefore is an important part. Anytime you see a therefore in scripture, it's important, okay? So because of all these things, because of what Christ did, because of the unity, because of the obedience, because of the servanthood, because he was willing to do all these things, therefore... God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, there are going to be times coming, they're probably already here for, for us at times. I, I, I feel this way at moments in my life where the joy that I have is based on this verse. You know what this verse tells me? Jesus wins. Every knee, every tongue, it doesn't matter. They will all confess that Jesus is Lord. You will confess it. I will confess it. The question is not whether or not there will be confessing of these things and knees to be bowing. The question is simply when you will do those things. And there is a joy in doing it right now. There is a joy in saying, you know what? No matter what I face, no matter what I go through, no matter what happens in my world, you know what? Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. We win in the end. There's a joy in that. There's an excitement in that. There's a joy that says, you know what? This isn't the end. This isn't the finishing place. There's more that God has. There's more that he wants to do. But listen, listen. It's important here that we see what this verse is talking about. It's talking about the lordship of Jesus. Now I want you to understand something about this. Okay? We have to accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. If we believe in our, mind, or believe in our heart, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that Christ, God raised him from the dead then we'll be saved. Now, that explains really clearly the idea of Savior, Savior and Lord. Paul here is focusing more on Lordship, and I want you to understand why. There's only one Savior, okay? You need to understand that. There's only one. There's no argument about the Savior, who the Savior is. Now, people argue about it all the time, but there's only been one person that's ever lived a sinful life, a sinless life, excuse me, let me clarify that, sinless life. There's only one who was willing to die in your place. And there was only one who rose on the third day. There's only one Savior. That's it. 
There's great people, there's great prophets, there's one Savior. There is no argument in the world about who the Savior is because of what Jesus has done, because of what Paul basically says, that he says, therefore. The Savior is not up for debate. But I'll tell you one thing, lordship in your life is, because there's a lot of people who have an argument with God over the lordship question. You don't get to choose who the Savior is. You do get to choose who, the, who your Lord is. But I will tell you this. One day, the choice will not be there for you. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And, and I would just encourage you, if you haven't yet, today's a great day. Today's a day where where we can accept Jesus as Savior. Yes, he died, he rescued me, he, he died in my place for my sins, but also to accept him as Lord. And listen, that seems like, oh, all the joys in the Savior part. Yeah, and there's lots of joy in the Savior part. But there's a lot of joy in the Lordship of Jesus. To know that no matter what we face, no matter what we go through, that at the end, every knee and every tongue is going to confess him, nothing else. Listen, when we're kids, I've seen this all throughout. I did it in my life. I did it. I've seen it in my son's life. I've seen it in other kids' lives. Like this is kind of one thing that's kind of like almost universal is this. Like if you like sports, not everybody likes sports, but if you like sports, if you enjoy those things, everybody wants to be associated with the winner. Like when I grew up in, in Kansas City as a kid, Basically, I mean, the Chiefs were horrible for years. And you know what? No, but you, you, you were in Kansas City. You saw Royals stuff because the Royals were good, which now is flipped, of course. But, but you didn't see red at all. And you know what? In school, oh, who do you like? I like this team. I, I like the, you know, it was basically, I like the 49ers. I like the Cowboys. I like the, the Steelers. Why? Oh, I couldn't figure it out until I got older. You know why I figured it out? Those teams were the teams that were winning at the time. My son had dealt with this this year. You know, he's, 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 I'm proud of him. He's, he's a Chiefs fan. Don't throw things at me, okay? And he goes to school. Guess what? All of a sudden at his school, magically, he just popped out of the air somehow. There were Eagles fans. We live in Denver. Why are there Eagles fans? Why are they pop? Simple, because they won. And we want to be associated with a winner. We want to be like, that's my team. That's they want. They, like, like we have, you know, like we, we think, you know, you know, our team wins. We won this. We, we sat there and screamed at the television, okay? We didn't work hard. We were just the fans. But we like that. We like to feel like our team wins. The greatest example of that, the best team you could ever be, the team that's going to win it all, literally, is with Jesus. And you know what? There is an excitement and there is a joy when you know you're on the right team and that your team is going to win. And for some of us, we've been kind of like, we, we know Jesus is Savior, but we're not really fully, quote-unquote, on Jesus' team. 
We haven't really made him Lord. And here's the thing. If you want to be a servant, if you want to be unified with Christ, if you want to have a, a life of obedience and all these things, one of the things you have to remember is Jesus has to be more than just Savior. He's also got to be Lord. And there's a joy that comes with that. So many times we hear about these things and it's almost like we, we feel like to make Jesus Lord in our lives, it's a burden, but it isn't. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That was what Jesus said about who he was and the lordship of his life in our hearts and our lives. And there's a joy that says, you know what? No matter what we go through, no matter the pain or the agony or the things that we deal with in our lives, in the end, in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Again, the question is not if in our lives, it's when. And I want all of us to take a moment and ask ourselves a simple couple of questions. Number one, let's, let's bow our heads. Let's focus for just a minute. Am I finding joy in unity? Am I finding joy with coming together with like-minded people, believers, and because of all the things that I have experienced with God, it's very easy to come to a place of unity. Are you finding joy in unity? Because, because that's something that we can find joy from. Are you finding joy in servanthood? Are you serving? Are you serving in every area of your life? You know, like some of us think, oh, I just serve in the church and that's it. And then I can treat my spouse like garbage. Absolutely not. Or I can, I, I can treat my kids. No. No, we serve in every area. And when we do, there is a joy that comes from that. Are you experiencing the joy that comes from servanthood? Number three, are you experiencing the joy that comes from obedience? Where we say, you know what, God? You know best. I don't, and I trust you. I trust you. That you're not asking me to do something just because. You're asking me to do something because you have great things in store for my life. And you want to use me to bring you glory. And so, God, I'm going to be obedient, and I'll find joy in following what you've asked me to do. And the final one, do you find joy in the Lordship of Jesus? To know that, yes, he's my Savior, but he's also my Lord. And when we can understand that, when we know that our God is a good God, like to put him Lord over our life, is like absolutely like that that's there's a joy in that there's an excitement in that that says you know what my knees already bowed my tongue's already confessed because i know that at the end we win and we're victorious because jesus is victorious listen if you're not finding joy from those things you may be finding joy in other areas and that's fine but I'll tell you right now, your joy meter is lower than it, can, than it should be. Maybe some of you are experiencing some of those things. 
you, you know, you, maybe you are being obedient or serving, but you're not experiencing the joy that should be accompanying those things. And in that moment, I would challenge you to look into your heart and see why you are doing those things. Because if you're just doing them out of religious obligation, if you're just doing them to kind of check off some things, if you're kind of being kind of a Pharisee in these sort of things, there won't be joy. Because you're doing them with the wrong heart. One of the things that Jesus shows us when it comes to unity with each other and the Father and, and, and servanthood and obedience and the Lordship, all of these things, his heart was exactly how it should be. And therefore, the joy flowed out of him. And that's what we have to look at ourselves. So as we close this morning, yes, we've asked questions that we need to answer. But we also need to once again ask the question, how's our heart? First, maybe there are people here this morning, maybe there are people online that, you know what? You know, forget the lordship of Jesus. You haven't even started with the Savior part. You haven't really accepted his love and his grace and his forgiveness for all your mess-ups. You know what? You can right now. The Bible teaches us that if we believe in our heart, and confess with our mouth, we will be saved. What do we need to confess? What do we need to believe? Simple. That Jesus came. He lived a sinless life. He died in our place for our sin. Christ then was raised by God on the third day. He is God's son. He is God. And also, he is the Lord of our hearts and our lives. Because of all that he has done for us. So we accept his grace. We accept his love. We accept his forgiveness. And we embrace his rescue and his lordship. If that's you, we're going to pray in just a minute. You can do that. For the rest of us that maybe have, maybe we've done the Lord, the, the Savior thing, but in certain areas, is, this is typically how it works. In certain areas, we don't let Jesus be Lord in that area. When basically Jesus is Lord over all and should be in our lives. So there's lots to pray about this morning. There's lots to think about this morning. And God wants to help us in all of these areas to experience the joy that comes when we accept him, when we make him Lord, and when we follow in the mindset and the lifestyle of Jesus. So wherever you're at, whatever's going on, pray with me as we kind of close this morning out. Father, we love you and we thank you. And God, for those that are maybe here this morning that have not accepted you, Father, I pray that right now they would just begin to pray to you. They would just begin to tell you, you know what, Jesus, I, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you died for me because I was sinful. I, I, I didn't measure up. I messed up like all human beings do. But Jesus, you came and you lived a sinless life so that you could die in my place, so that I could be forgiven and be made righteous in your sight. And so Jesus, I accept your love. I accept your forgiveness. I accept your grace. And I also make you the Lord of my life. I believe these things. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making a way where there was no way. For others, God, that maybe we're having trouble with 
the lordship area. We, we try to control different places in different ways. And God, we just need to let them go and let you be the Lord in those areas of our lives. For others, we need to start again to experience the joy that comes from unity and servanthood and obedience and lordship. We need to let that joy come and flow through us because we have something much greater and much more to be excited about than a car or a thing or even an emotion because in that we choose you and you are our joy. Always choose you and therefore we can always choose joy. Help us, God. We need your help in this area. And Father, again, as we close... We ask that you would just bless all of the ladies. God, continue to use them. Continue to minister to them. Continue to help them grow, to continue to be the women of God that you've called them to be in every area. And especially today, but not just today, but all year round, help us, all of us, to make sure that we do our very best to serve them and to let them know how much we love and appreciate them. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Listen, once again, love you ladies. Thank you so much for all that you do. I hope that everyone has a great week. Remember, we do have a little gift for our ladies. Um, now, I want to tell you kind of what happened, okay? We, we, we did something a little different this year. They are flowers, um, but we, we made a mistake. Here's the mistake. We went to Costco for the flowers. So just like anything at Costco, they're big, and they don't fit perfectly in the little cups that we have, okay? So just be aware of that, ladies, that they are a little overflowing, with just like our, our love for you is overflowing. You like that? That was a good segue. Good. Okay. Um, so please just be aware of that. But this is, listen, for all of our ladies. You go, I'm not a mom. This is for our ladies. We love all of you and appreciate all of you. Please make sure you get a flower on your way out. And guess what? We have a little bit of help again from our helpers from the, the muffin time. So please make sure you get a flower. Hope that you have a wonderful week and a great Mother's Day. We'll see you soon.